Hi everyone, I'm your host, Jaco Selka, and you are listening to Hopefully Sustainable. Each week, I'm going to talk to extraordinary people who are doing extraordinary things to make the world a more sustainable place. My goal is for this episode to leave you feeling hopeful about an idea, a person, or the world in general. Thank you for joining me in this conversation, and all together we can be hopefully sustainable. Hi everyone, I hope that you are having a great day so far. I'm really looking forward to sharing today's conversation with you all because I really went into today's episode not knowing anything about the topic, and by the end of the conversation, I was just shocked that I had never even heard of this issue. I am joined by Vassar Seidel, who I met when we both attended the University of Georgia. She is currently serving as the Deep Seabed Mining Campaign Manager for the Oxygen Project. As she will tell us all about, the Oxygen Project was founded to raise awareness and defend the ecosystems that produce our oxygen. As most people know, our oceans face many different threats, but before learning about the work that Vassar is doing with the Oxygen Project, I had never heard of deep seabed mining. Vassar is going to educate us all about this issue, but as a quick overview, the deep sea is the largest and least explored of the Earth's biomes, and it is currently being threatened by the possibility of large corporations coming in, basically clear-cutting the deep seabed, and mining which could lead to irreversible ecosystem loss amongst so many other horrible consequences that Vassar will get into a little bit later in the episode. While this is a very dark and serious topic, I think it is one that we all need to be made aware of. Vassar is going to give us a lot of background on the issue at hand and talk about how the Oxygen Project is working to bring awareness and pass at least a 10-year moratorium on deep seabed mining. I'm releasing this episode leading up to World Ocean Day, which is June 8th. There are so many ways that us as individuals can make an impact, so I hope that you learn just as much as I did from this episode. Be sure to follow along with the Oxygen Project. I have a bunch of links in the show notes that you can check out, but they are going to be doing a bunch of really fun campaigns and activities that you can participate in over the next two weeks. Lastly, I just want to give a big thanks to Vassar for bringing this issue to light on Hopefully Sustainable. I hope you enjoy the episode. Let's get started. So similar to many of my past guests, I met Vassar during our time as interns at the UGA Office of Sustainability. And while we only got to work together for, I believe, one semester, your passion for sustainability was extremely evident. And I'm super excited to hear about your latest project and the cause that you are trying to bring awareness to. So to kick us off here, can you tell us a little bit about your background and who you are? Hi, everyone. My name is Vassar Seidel. I work for the Oxygen Project as a campaign director running impact campaigns um, through our digital media platforms. Uh, The Oxygen Project is a global initiative that seeks to defend ecosystems which produce our planet's oxygen. So we use digital media to increase environmental literacy and we forge partnerships to raise awareness, mobilize support, and drive regenerative solutions. Uh, So That's a little bit about what I'm doing now. 
um, my past, as Jaco said, we got to work together only for a semester at the UGA Office of Sustainability, but um, it was really awesome. And we really got to meet a lot of awesome people and have some really cool experiences there. At UGA, I was the grants and engagement uh, intern. And that really set me on a path of wanting to do environmental work. I studied uh, communications in college uh, and have always had a passion for the environment. My, uh, I come from a family who is very environmentally inclined. My brother is the uh, sustainability director for the city of Atlanta. Um, my mom really uh, fostered the love for the environment and the outdoors in our family, as well as my dad. Um, and my grandparents are activists and environmental activists and uh, human right activists uh, in their own right as well. So um, yeah, that's a little bit about my background. I don't know if you have any other specific questions about that. No, that's great. And what is it like coming from a family who are all passionate about the environment? I know I hear from a lot of people who they might be the only person in their family or they're trying to convince all of their family to care about the environment. So what has your experience been like just being totally surrounded by people who care about the environment? You know, I think it was something growing up. I, I honestly have always really appreciated uh, because as growing up in a time where more and more information around the climate crisis is coming out, it's mm -hmm. been something that I've felt passionate about and trying to drive awareness with my friends and with other people at school. Uh, when I got to college, I did want to see, you know, is there anything else I want to do with my life? That's not environmental since <laughs> everyone in my family, that's what pretty much everyone was passionate about. And, mm -hmm. you know, you have uh, something as an individual, it's, you know, you're collectively passionate about something with your family, but, you know, trying to find your own identity um, is important too. But of course I circled back around to that pretty fast. And I knew, you know, no matter what I do, uh, I had to involve uh, the environment. And especially now where, you know, that, that uh, clock is ticking uh, to solve the climate crisis. I mean, that is, uh, you know, a pretty main driver in my life for motivation. And mm -hmm. um, I see it as, you know, the humanity's uh, biggest challenge and biggest opportunity to solve. Well, I think it's really interesting to hear how you wanted to find your own pathway and you still came back to the environment and sustainability, but I think it's really interesting because there's so many different pathways and so many different aspects to sustainability. So I'm sure it's really neat to see all of the different parts of sustainability that each of you and your family members can contribute to, even if it's not the exact same part of sustainability. Yeah, actually recently and more and more so having my colleagues being um, involved in the environmental space and my friends being involved in the envi environmental space, I realized how many people didn't have uh, that support system at home and they really arrived to all of these issues on their own. And it has given me a really deep sense of gratitude. Uh, and now I, I'll hear my mom talking about, you know, regenerative agriculture and, you know, very specifically, and I'm like, wow, 
my mom is such a badass, you know? <laughs> and, um, so I, I definitely have a great sense of gra- gratitude because my family are, are my m- mentors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if there's something I want to learn more specifically on the city level or more specifically, uh, you know, in a specific environmental issue, I can call my brother or I can call my parents. So, uh, that's a really awesome feeling to have your family be your mentors. Yeah, definitely. That's such an amazing experience. And as you mentioned, you have found your own pathway and you are now working with the Oxygen Project. So I know you gave us a little bit of background on it in the beginning, but can you tell us a little bit more about what the Oxygen Project is and what your role with them is? Yeah, so uh, like I mentioned, the Oxygen Project is a global initiative that seeks to defend the ecosystems which produce our planet's oxygen. So originally the Oxygen Project uh, was going to be a documentary film, but that idea rapidly evolved into what it is today. And although our mission has remained the same uh, to raise awareness and defend the ecosystems that produce our planet's oxygen, the tools of storytelling and communicating our message and driving, you know, impact has changed and evolved over time. So I, like I said earlier, I am uh, the campaign director at the Oxygen Project. And it was really divine timing when I came to the Oxygen Project because the team had been growing this amazing platform uh, and been communicating environmental messaging but didn't really have an impact strategy. And I came to the Oxygen Project with the first uh, impact campaign, which was deep sea bed mining. And we launched that this past August, uh, which uh, we have been on a mission to raise awareness and drive impact and you know really create change around deep sea bed mining, which is an issue that many people are not aware of and still Um, even in the environmental space are not aware of. So that's what I've been working on. And we have also launched another campaign since, which is our Stop Algae Blooms campaign. Uh, And we've done that in collaboration with a partner uh, at Vivo Barefoot. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because I feel like I've at least heard of most issues within sustainability, even if I don't know a lot of the details or background on them. But if I'm being honest, before learning about the Oxygen Project and all of the amazing work that you're doing with them, I had never even heard of deep seabed mining. So I'm really interested to hear, can you give us kind of a high level overview of what deep seabed mining is and who is involved and why is this even happening? Yeah. So. Deep sea bed mining is the process of extracting mineral deposits from the deep sea, the area of the ocean below 200 meters. So you can think generally areas beyond national jurisdiction, meaning our international waters or something that's also known as the global commons. So most people don't know that the deep sea is the biggest habitat on the planet. It's the largest biome making up over 90% of the marine environment. It also plays a vital role in absorbing and storing uh, vast amounts of CO2. So actually the deep seabed is theorized as being the world's largest carbon sink. And the deep sea is also home to over a hundred million species. So this is a really, really important ecosystem, which most people think it could just be a desert or you know, a lifeless wasteland. 
but really uh, 99% of the seabed is unexplored. And we know so little about this habitat, yet there is so much to learn. Every uh, week, actually, there's a new species that has been discovered by science. Uh, the other week, there, there was uh, a discovery of a neon glowing shark and there's wow. a discovery of a new octopus. So there's so much to learn. Uh, another area that is really important to understand is that uh, the deep sea can tell us so much about, uh, you know, scientific discoveries and, uh, you know, future medicines. So one of the key components of the COVID-19 test was actually discovered in the deep sea. And these ecosystems are also super fragile. They're the most fragile ecosystems on the planet, and they're extremely vulnerable to human disturbance. So, you know, for example, a single polymetallic nodule, which kind of looks like a rock, but it's a complete living ecosystem itself, they have taken um, 15 million years to form. So to put simply, all of the science is really clear that disrupting the deep sea and its primary productiv productivity and biodiversity and ecosystem services is not only unnecessary, but it's far too big of a risk. So to answer your other question, I think I rambled on a little bit, but you have to know <laughs> a little bit about the deep sea ecosystem to fully understand what's happening and why it's so urgent um, why the issue of deep sea bed mining is so urgent. So right now, uh, there are negotiations in the UN's International Seabed Authority. This is a autonomous body created under the UN uh, that is charged with a dual mandate to both protect this area of the ocean, but also to exploit it for its resources. So right now they're developing something called the mining code, which would allow the deep sea bed mining industry to take off. Uh, and by the way, it would be the largest op mining operation in history. They've already awarded 30 licenses and mm. that is just the beginning. So the ISA uh, oversees over 50% of the earth's surface. And there's uh, real concerns because in practice, we are seeing the ISA has largely prioritized the launch of a new global industry and is looking for ways to circumvent rather than prioritize environmental sustainability. So one quote I want to say before, Jacob, I'll let you talk again, is <laughs> that the head of the ISA, uh, Michael Lodge, has said himself, once you have mining, you have monitoring. Then you can develop standards and you can progressively tighten those standards once you have a feedback loop for monitoring your activity. So that's just in summation saying, well, we can create environmental standards after we've passed the mining code. We'll go mm -hmm. back and we'll, we'll implement those. But unfortunately, mining the deep sea creates permanent damage. So going back and you know, creating environmental standards is really not an option. Um, also, how does that really work with a UN body uh, to go back and amend this massive uh, treaty? So, or this massive legislation? 
Yeah, it definitely sounds like they're just trying to move forward on this and saying they'll come up with a solution afterwards, but I'm pretty sure we all know that most likely would not happen and it would just lead to horrible consequences. Absolutely. So you just said it right there. They're really just trying to rush the process to pass the mining code uh, before the public really knows about this issue uh, so that they can get deep seabed mining set off on an industrial scale. Because when it, once it is, there's really no putting the cat inside of the bag. So we say, you know, rushing to mine the deep sea and gambling with our life support system is unnecessary and far too big of a risk. Yeah, and it seems like once we start exploring this part of the ocean, it's just going to open up so many other potentials to create negative damage to this environment that hasn't been explored. Absolutely, and that's exactly why uh, we felt so passionate about creating a impact campaign around this issue uh, because People don't know about this, even in the environmental space. So we wanted to use our platforms um, and our voice to try to raise awareness on this issue and drive uh, the public and our partners uh, to impact. So since this is kind of a new topic to me, I just have a few basic questions. So when they are actually doing this mining, what is happening on the ocean floor or in this deep seabed? Yeah, so that's a really great question. And there's three different types of mining, but to keep things very simple, that any uh, disturbance in these ecosystems create permanent damage. So these different mining operations are highly invasive. They're basically sucking up the, the seafloor and uh, you know, extracting from that seafloor. So these are, these are not environmental practices. They have not optimized mining for the environment in these ecosystems. It's highly invasive and creates permanent destruction to these deep sea habitats. So not only are they destroying uh, and, and harming uh, ecosystems and biodiversity at the mining site, but they're also harming biodiversity and ecosystems throughout the water column as they suck up the sediment. They also create plumes from the mining site, but also from discharge from the ship. And this has an impact on biodiversity throughout the water column. So you can think about, uh, you know, whales or other animals that will, uh, and other animals that are also filter feeders that will digest that sediment and can also um, create other problems and kill marine life. Hearing all of these side effects just makes it seem almost incredible that they're trying to push this through when there's so many different aspects, it seems like that need to be considered before this actually gets passed or before actual mining takes place. Absolutely. So that's exactly why we and uh, a lot of our NGO partners. So we're part of something called the Deep Sea Conservation Coalition, which is a group of 80 plus uh, international NGOs who are all calling to defend the deep. We are calling for something uh, called a moratorium that would uh, be at least for 10 years uh, and will stop deep sea bed mining. So 
you know, scientists have a chance to fully understand these ecosystems and to get a baseline uh, data on these ecosystems so that we know what we're doing before we permanently damage these ecosystems. I'm sure there's so many different parties involved to this, but who is actually wanting to do the mining and what is the purpose of the mining? What are they mining for, if that makes sense? So in order to pass the mining code, the exploration reg regulations, it's all countries that pass that. Mm, so okay. there's 167 countries in the ISA and those countries will have to have a, a vote to pass the exploratory uh, regulations to go forward. Okay. But some of those countries uh, are sponsoring states of deep sea bed mining companies. And unfortunately, the reality of the deep sea bed mining uh, industry is that there is corporate capture happening of the global commons where, you know, corporations actually are, have a voice inside the ISA. And that's not what the ISA was founded on or created for. Uh, but it is the reality of what it's turning out to be. So just to clarify, has this mining already happened or is this something that they want to do moving forward that is trying to be stopped? So mining on an industrial scale in our global commons uh, has not already happened. They have uh, passed and they have done exploratory mining so they've been able to go to these areas, explore them, but they can't mine um, on, an, uh, on an industrial scale. So once the, the uh, exploitation regulations are passed, then that gives these mining companies a green light to start mining on an industrial scale. And they're trying to do that before uh, you know, proper environmental regulations are set into place and to go ahead and rush these exploitation regulations through. So how is the Oxygen Project trying to bring awareness to this issue and what kind of work are you all doing to try to become a part of this conversation? Right. So like I said, uh, we are part of a coalition, the Deep Sea Conservation Coalition of over 80 uh, international nonprofits who all care about conserving and protecting the deep sea. So there's some really amazing groups. Um, that, you know, work on uh, deep sea science, who work on, who are thorough experts in international policy, who are, have been doing conservation work for a really long time, who are really great activist organizations. So we see ourselves, we're kind of the young group of the bunch who uh, really get and can experiment on uh, digital uh, platforms and digital networks. So when we decided we wanted to run a campaign, we uh, really knew that we needed to raise awareness through these digital platforms. We launched a video, our launch, campaign launch video in August, which reached over 11 million people around the world. And uh, many activations were taken on, from that video. Uh, we've created a toolkit. Uh, we uh, created an open letter to the UN, the ISA, and uh, world representatives uh, to 
put forth a at least 10 year moratorium in line with the UN decade of ocean science. We created that with the Sustainable Ocean Alliance and it is still an open letter. So you can go and sign that. Uh, we will deliver that before the ISA uh, meets to convene again um, on, the, on the regulations. So go sign that while you can. And we are also just doing a lot more activations around, uh, you know, educating about the deep sea, trying to, you know, get artists involved to help conjure a sense of connection with the deep sea and um, just some more activations uh, and, you know, innovative ways to raise awareness um, on campaigns. We collaborated with a lo-fi music label called Effortless Audio, and we worked with them um, and 16 artists to produce 16 songs that conjure up feelings and uh, a connection to the ocean and using ocean sounds and they're beautiful songs. And um, we, you can go on Spotify and you can listen to those songs and every play, um, you know, helps us uh, keep forwarding this, uh, this campaign. So that's just one innovative, uh, you know, activation that we did around, you know, the steep seabed mining campaign, but we also have a lot more activations coming out uh, for World Ocean Day. Well, I will be sure to share a link for people to go sign that letter and listen to those really cool songs, it sounds like. And I think it's really amazing that you all are trying to appeal to our generation and the younger generations because there's so many young people out there who are passionate about fighting climate change. And as I mentioned, I wasn't even aware of this issue. So it seems like we really need to get the message out here and really appeal to the youth and teach them about this issue so that it brings more awareness to it. And you mentioned the ISA is going to be having a meeting. Is that scheduled or planned? And what are the next steps around fighting this and passing the moratorium or the outright ban? So that's a really good question because of COVID, the ISA has been forced to move this meeting uh, back months at a time. Uh, they really don't want to move that meeting back. So they every time they've rescheduled the meeting, they've waited up until the last second to then cancel the meeting. So right now it's technically on the books for July, but uh, many experts are saying that it won't happen because of uh, COVID still being um, a really big issue internationally. So it probably won't happen, but right now it's on the books. So we're, uh, all of our activations are in line for it still happening then. Is everyone happy that the meeting is getting pushed back? Is that giving you all more time to gain awareness around this issue? Or are you ready for the meeting to happen to see what's going to be the result? I definitely think it is, has been, uh, in a way for nonprofits working on this, a blessing because it gives us more time to educate more people on this issue. And that's really what's needed to shift minds and shift uh, countries on where they stand on deep sea bed mining and, and whether or not they will support a moratorium. Well, based off of everything you've been saying, the ISA is playing a huge role in this conversation. And last year, you won the Emerging Civic Leader for UN Agenda 2030 Award. So first off, congratulations on that. 
And when we were planning for this episode, you mentioned how this was really significant because of the obvious role of the UN in deep seabed mining. So what kind of message do you think it sends that they are not only acknowledging the work that you're doing, but giving you an award for it? I think it's sending the message that, you know, does the right hand know what the left hand is doing? And there's a lot of countries who are supportive of, you know, the convention of biodiversity, but on the other hand are also saying, let's go deep sea by mine. And those things are inherently contradictory. So, you know, countries and these uh, bigger international bodies need to get on the same page and start asking these bigger questions because, you know, in 2020, are we going to, you know, continue on this path and this trajectory of planetary decline? Or are we really going to implement truly sustainable solutions that, you know, are larger picture, that are really going to solve the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis and our ecological crises? So I think that's the message that it sends. It's really interesting because I feel like a lot of the time we hear about companies greenwashing us and really having to look out for that, but it almost sounds like we have to pay attention to what our governments are doing and what these bodies like the UN and the ISA are doing because there's the potential that they could be greenwashing us at the same time. Exactly. They could be greenwashing uh, and they could also have different political figures within their governments with different interests. And, you know, sitting on different sides. So someone who's working within the ISA and someone who's working in another power uh, position within that government and um, having different, not different opinions, but maybe different motivating factors. But also I meant to say thank you for congratulating me. (laughs) I, I didn't mention that. Thank you. Yeah, that's super awesome. And unfortunately, deep seabed mining is not the only issue facing our oceans. And the Oxygen Project, as you mentioned, recently teamed up with Vivo Barefoot to tackle the issue of harmful algae blooms. For some listeners, they may remember that I actually did an episode on this in season one. But can you talk about what causes these harmful algae blooms and the effect that they are having in our oceans? Yeah. So uh, actually, I love that episode. And for anyone who listened to that, uh, Bloom actually worked and collaborated with Vivo Barefoot to create the Ultra uh, 3 Algae Bloom shoe, which was Vivo's inspiration for doing an impact campaign. So uh, when I listened to that podcast, I was like, this is such a small world. (laughs) <laughs> um, I also didn't know that they uh, started at UGA and that's my alma mater. So yeah, you know, so every- cool. So very cool. But for anyone who didn't listen to that, um, harmful algae blooms occur when toxin producing algae grow excessively in a body of water and have harmful effects on uh, these ecosystems and people and wildlife. So some causes of uh, HABs is Uh, And the reason why they're becoming more prevalent and severe now is largely because of uh, water water temperature increasing from climate change, also with increased phosphorus and nitrate loads. So you can think of uh, fertilizers from industrial farming, 
uh, sewage or mining activities and other invasive land practices such as tilling, which is also from industrial farming activities, and then other toxic chemicals that are found in, found in things such as cleaning products um, or other products that you use. Um, and some ecosystem effects from harmful algae blooms are include biodiversity loss, uh, contaminated drinking water, and which is toxic for humans and wildlife. Uh, Habs can create dead zones because harmful algae blooms suck oxygen uh, out of water and can cause uh, dead zones. And also air pollution because of airborne nitrogen compounds. Mm. And um, another, this is actually a, a cool uh, little fact that I didn't even know running this campaign. And I listened to your uh, podcast about cor coral reefs being able to be bleached uh, because they uh, do better in low nutrient environments. So that was something I learned from you. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm glad that you were able to learn something from the episode. And where does the Oxygen Project and Vivo Barefoot come into play with this partnership and campaign around stopping these harmful algae blooms? Yeah, so it was a really exciting uh, you know, partnership with Vivo Barefoot because they created this algae bloom shoe with Bloom, uh, which is an amphibious shoe. And it not only keeps CO2 from entering the environment, it also puts back, uh, you know, cleaned water into these habitats. Um, and so that's what gave them the inspiration there. You know, you mentioned greenwashing earlier, and I think Vivo is a really refreshing uh, company because not only uh, are they super committed to working um, on, you know, issues from health uh, to the environment. And they're really committed to trying to use as much uh, regenerative products as possible. Um, but they also want to take it a step further and wanted to do an impact campaign um, to really, you know, drive a solution around harmful algae blooms because they knew, you know, creating a shoe isn't a solution um, it might be a step in the right direction, but uh, you, there needs to be a lot more to drive the solution around something like harmful algae blooms. So we joined forces with them to create this impact campaign, and we created a, a launch video to raise awareness um, with a lot of amazing influencers and experts and scientists in this field. And then we decided to drive a impact letter campaign, an open letter calling on UNESCO to create a global awareness program and work with local governments to stop destructive practices, especially around the use of phosphates and nitrates and implement regenerative nature-based solutions. Uh, the solutions that will help create resilient communities and help them thrive for generations to come. So why we chose UNESCO, was because they uh, already do research on HABs, and they have a lot of um, they have a lot of capacity to educate local communities um, from their research, and so we're encouraging them to create a framework around that and release that research um, before you know ten years down the line. Because with something like 
harmful algae blooms, as I mentioned earlier, they're becoming more re relevant and prevalent due to climate change and due to increase in, you know, these toxins into waterways. So, mm -hmm. you know, we shouldn't, you know, solve these things down the line. We should start implementing those solutions now. And also those are the same solutions that are going to help us draw down carbon and solve climate change. So, you know, that's, what's really cool being in this space too. A lot of the solutions, um, you know, intersect with other issues. And uh, that's really what we see as for this campaign. So if you go to the oxygenproject.com slash Habs, you'll also see a toolkit that has a tweet to UNESCO to show your support. It also has other um, action items that you can take to become a citizen scientist yourself. And you can download in several apps. Um, there's a couple different for uh, what kind of phone you have or where you live um, in the world that will report algae blooms. Um, also some other things that you can do personally that, um, you know, if you want to take action yourself at home, you can plant native in your own yard. Not only does that help bring pollinators back, um, but it also, you know, native plants don't need as much fertilizer, um, or as much tending to, um, they also don't need, you know, it's water appropriate for your region. Um, you can also use toxic-free cleaning products or other products in your home. Um, and then another interesting one, as I've seen an increase in people having dogs, I think a lot of people got pets during COVID and I've mm -hmm. seen so many more people walking their dogs on the street, but pick up your dog's uh, poop and you can really help um, those that sewage not going into uh, the waterways. And that can also help for algae blooms. Yeah, that's so important. And I really appreciate you giving those actionable items because I feel like we can talk about these huge issues and people might be intimidated or feel like there's no way that they could possibly make a difference or make an impact when it comes to these big issues. But there's super simple things that you can do to make an impact. So thank you for sharing those. Oh, thank you. And Obviously, these are tragic and serious issues that we have covered today, but to end on a positive note, World Ocean Day is coming up on June 8th. So can you tell us about the importance of this day and what it means to you? Okay, so the importance of this day. So, you know, something that everyone says for Earth Day, uh, you know, every day is Earth Day. I think every day is World Ocean Day. But you know, it is really important to see it as a day of celebrating the ocean and really um, championing issues that we might not know about, um, or also celebrating biodiversity that we might not know about. So it, it really is a day where we can spotlight um, different ocean issues or different ocean accomplishments. And I'm really excited about World Ocean Day because we are doing a really big push around it, um, especially championing the cause of deep sea bed mining. Uh, we have a World Ocean Day video coming out, which is a show of force video with a lot of our different partners from uh, Christine, Christina Minemeyer at Only One and Sea Legacy to our friends at Greenpeace and uh, Grounded and Arctic Angels and uh, the DSEC and so many more. Um, we also have this awesome uh, sweatshirt that's 
campaign. Actually, I'm wearing it now and you can't see it, but Jayco can. And it has, oh, yeah. we worked with this awesome artist you can see on the back. Oh you yeah, that's super cool. And the mining machine and all the different languages and our QR code that takes you to our actionable toolkit. Um, and we'll be doing a giveaway. So you can go um, on the Oxygen Project on um, our page on World Oceans Day and try to enter in to get one. Um, but the action kit will have all of our, uh, our letter to the UN. It will also have something else that we're doing for World Ocean Day and World Ocean Week and World Ocean Month, which is a gift campaign. And we're working, we collaborated with Task Force to launch a unbranded uh, gift campaign. We'll have 20 gifts uh, on World Oceans Day, on uh, deep sea bed mining, on defending the deep, and they're unbranded. So we're really encouraging anyone in the environmental space, if you're an influencer, if you're a normal person like me, um, and you care about the environment or care about the ocean, um, they're really fun. I saw the first couple today and I'm really excited. So hopefully people will post those and educate um, and have some content for their feed uh, for World Ocean Day. Um, and also for our partner organizations to share as well if they want to. Um, and then we also have a Spanish event on June 10th. It is in Spanish. So if you don't speak Spanish, <laughs> I'm sorry, but um, it is, to our knowledge, the only uh, full uh, Spanish-speaking event for World Ocean Day, um, and it is titled Ocean Policy and Deep Sea Mining in Latin and South America. I didn't mention this earlier, but we have a whole Spanish team and a whole Spanish page, so uh, they you know, will be doing an awesome job and um, are really championing that. We have the keynote from Michelle Bachelet who is the former president of Chile um, and so many more really awesome uh, people featured in that event. So you can go to our social media pages and see that too. Um, and then, you know, some other activations we have for World Ocean Week is we have IG Lives. We have one with uh, the Sustainable Ocean Alliance and Dr. Diva Moan, who is a deep sea scientist from NOAA. Um, she's really cool. And uh, so we'll be doing that uh, among really some other really fun activations. And one thing that we um, have been doing more and more of is working with artists because, you know, in this space, you feel like you can be really preachy and some things can be very dark and mm -hmm. it can get very technical. But, you know, one thing we want to do is support artists. <laughs> and on the other hand, we also want people to, you know, develop a love for what we're talking about or an interest. So uh, we have a lot of really cool art coming out um, around World Ocean Day. And actually one thing that we did do um, with the Algae Blooms campaign, and we're going to be doing for Deep Sea Bed Mining too, is our comic. So we have a comic strip where uh, this young girl, Jamie, who... Um, is actually the artist herself um, who fights uh, for environmental justice. And um, so you can also follow along the Oxygen Project to see her adventures um, doing just that. 
Great. Well, thank you for telling us about all of those exciting things that are happening. It sounds like there's so many ways that people can get involved with World Ocean Day and celebrate biodiversity and the oceans, like you mentioned. And as we come to the end here, I think we ended on a positive note with all of those exciting things that are happening. But what are you hopeful about? I know going to UGA, you're used to being around hope and that theme that was always present in all of our courses and our internships. So what are you hopeful about? So in this space of really trying to tackle the climate crisis, for me, it's uh, less about hope and it's more about like an instinctive drive and a must uh, to get there because um, we really don't have another choice. And But what does make me hopeful uh, is being around friends and listening to people's podcasts like yours. And even though we haven't talked in a while, like, oh my gosh, look at what Jaco's doing and look at all of these cool people she's interviewing or, you know, meeting new friends in this environmental space and seeing what they're doing. Because, you know, working in the climate world, sometimes if you have a bad day, you can be like, you know, are we going to get there? Are we going to solve the climate crisis? You know, some of these things just feel so huge, but really it's the collective that's going to get us there. And although we have a huge uh, uphill battle still, uh, seeing how many people are working on things in their own realm of influence and you know, try, posting on your own social media or creating your own podcast or talking with your own friends and you know, signing every petition you can, that's what, that's what makes me hopeful is seeing all the people and, and all my friends and more and more people uh, starting to care about these issues and understand these issues and really kind of, you know, getting in, I don't want to use the word fight because I try to stay away from the violent um, rhetoric, but really it's, uh, it is uh, a fight and it, it is a, a, an uphill battle and I think we're going to get there. So I am very hopeful. Well, I love that because I totally agree with what you were saying. When I interview all these people, it can be about really dark or serious topics like we talked about today. But in the end, all of these people are out there working to make a difference and make a change. So selfishly, I get so much hope out of this podcast. And I hope that's what other people get out of the podcast as well. And I have loved seeing all of the amazing work that you have gone on to do. So I'm really glad that we got to connect today. And one quote that I found when I was researching for the episode that really stuck out to me was by Dr. Sylvia Earle, who said, seabed mining is like clear cutting the ocean. The effects will be devastating and irreversible. So as I mentioned, I wasn't even aware of this issue. And I'm really happy that you have brought this to the attention of all of our listeners. So thank you so much for being here today, Vassar. Thank you, Jaco. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about today's guest or just say hello, check out the show notes and find us on Instagram at hopefully sustainable pod. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. As you finish this episode, remember that we are all on a personal journey to make the world a better place, but it's all about progress, not perfection. Until next time, stay hopeful and stay sustainable.